The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to the Chronic Podcast with host Ralph Malbro and featuring bloggers Andrew Juge of SaintsNation.com, Kevin Held of The Team Drops the Ball, and Dave Cariello of Canal Street Chronicles. This podcast is nothing but serious football talk and hardcore analysis. Which four of you would survive the longest in the zombie apocalypse, and in which order would you die? Well, Ralph, no offense, you're going first. Oh, definitely. <laughs> no, 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 no. The zombies would smell Dave's sugar blood and target him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'd get his. <laughs> I don't even have a joke, Dave. <laughs> Dave. Dave smells like nougat. Now here's your host, Ralph Malbro. All right, welcome to the Chronic Podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Malbro. We are joined, as always, by Andrew Juge. And tonight, we have wrangled a special, legitimate media guest, courtesy of Andrew, who maybe hounded this poor man on Twitter. I don't know, but he's agreed to join us. Uh, and that would be Ramon Antonio Vargas of The Advocate. He is a beat writer. He covers the Saints. Uh, so, Ramon, thanks for thanks for joining us tonight. Oh no! Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Andrew uh, has uh, came came through for me when I needed him uh, a few months ago. So I'm happy to return the favor anytime. So, <laughs> all right, the Saints made actual news today, guys. Um, so Ramon, they they made some cuts today. Victor Butler was the big one yesterday. But of the cuts they made today, did anything s- surprise you? And are any of the guys that they cut today, or Vic- and you can include Victor Butler now, are any of these group of guys? going to amount to anything during the NFL season for other teams? Uh, I mean, let me, let me start by saying, I guess the, to me, you know, the thing that kind of struck me, he wasn't really a special teams captain, but he had contributed, done well in special teams coverage was Kevin Reddick. And um, I guess if you look, the Saints kind of have this trend of, of kind of unloading uh, either special teams captains in recent years. When you look at Courtney Rovey and, and Will Herring, and um, uh, just I mean those are just two recent examples. Uh, Will Herring, who was a lot ago in, in free agency, and then Courtney Rovey, of course, was released uh, late in training camp uh, at the end of training camp last year. And then um, here, you know, here you go, Kevin Ruddick, who, who looked like he. I mean, I recall in the in the opener. Um, in the season one opener, just to kind of illustrate how aggressive of a, of a special teams player he was. Um, last year, week one in Atlanta, it was a big tribute to Steve Gleason, who, um, of course, had uh, had that unforgettable block in the 06 season against Atlanta in the Superdome. Um, and and Reddick almost got a block. And I remember someone commenting on 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 Twitter that he wanted to he, he wanted the next statue outside the Superdome to be of him. Of course, a joke uh, referencing the statue of Gleason's block and, and I mean, to, to think that he went from, from that and then what he became in special teams to end up not even, not even making it past the first cut of training camp this year was, was surprising to me. Um, so I, I think he, you know, a guy like him can offer something to a team, um, you know, this year. Uh, also, I mean, Rod Sweeting, uh, cornerback was another one of the names that we, uh, we found out about today. You know, I mean, 
in January he was he was playing significant snaps in a in a wild card playoff game. Of course, that was necessitated by a uh, concussion to uh, Keenan Lewis um, that sidelined him for the third quarter. Corey White went into Lewis's spot, and then Sweeting went into uh, White's spot. Um, at the same time, I mean, I realized that he did nothing spectacular in that game, but, you know, they did end up winning the game, and he kept everything in front of him, which is what he said he was told to do, so he carried it out. And um, I think those two guys, I mean, I think it speaks well to the to the players that they brought in um, this offseason to uh, – uh, when you're looking at, at at both those positions, I mean, obviously Redick was a linebacker and tweeting a cornerback. When you look at some of the personnel that they infused and in, in, during the offseason and the preseason, I mean, they were just passed up. So uh, I, I don't think that there was necessarily that. Uh, you know, Sweeting was injured uh, late and before he was he was uh, had some dealt with some an injury. I guess when before he it was never disclosed, but um, before before he was let go. But um, I don't think it was so much that those guys had a dip in form. I just think that guys who were brought in passed them up, and I think that speaks well to the, to the level of talent that, the, that they were able to get the Saints for. Well, Ramon, um, it's Andrew. Um, I, I wanted to bounce something off you, and this is more of a statement than a question, but I, I'd like to hear yeah. your thoughts and, and hear if you agree. Um, and obviously hindsight is always twenty twenty. Uh, but when you look at the, how the Saints drafted, um, and now we mm-hmm. see those cuts happen today, um, you kind of wonder now looking back, was the writing on the wall for these guys when you see the Saints draft Kyrie Fort, Ronald Powell, Vinny Sinceri, these guys that um, you know come in immediately with this quote-unquote special teams reputation, uh, guys that can contribute, and obviously the Saints, just in the way they drafted, viewed that as a need. Um, so do you agree that in some way uh, these guys were – I mean, of course, they're going to be on high alert just with their standing on the roster being backups anyway. Uh, but with the way the Saints drafted. Undrafted ones at that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah. Uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, look, I, I think I think you nailed it when you said that it, hindsight is twenty twenty. I guess when you look at Kyrie Fort, um, when you look at, you know, Lyle Powell, you know, those, I mean, those guys had question marks coming in, and I think that they were brought in. I mean, it's what they try to do every year and create competition. And um, I think when you look at, I mean, the guys that the competition is meant to push are exactly the Rod Sweetings of the world and the Kevin Reddicks of the world. And to the credit of Ronald Powell, to the credit of Kyrie Fort, um, you know, Vinny Sinceri, uh, I mean, those are, I mean, that, that's exactly what, um, I mean, they were able to, to win out in a competition. But, I mean, in no way, I mean, if you remember, you go back, the immediate reaction was, what are they doing? Why Why Sinceri? Why are they getting, you know, some of these, uh, you know, some of these guys, I mean, they the all three of them had uh, serious injuries, if I uh, if I recall correctly, or had had dealt with injuries. Our college, they had question marks. They came in, and I mean they were. I mean, and that's that's. I mean, those are the guys that are meant to push. You know, like I said, the, the Rod Sweetings and the and the uh, and the Kevin Reddy for the world, and and they were just passed up. I mean, uh, I think that speaks well to to how those those rookies that were drafted. So I don't necessarily think, I mean, the writing on the wall, I think the writing on the wall, if you go back, it was you guys are going to have to compete to keep your jobs. And that's something that's always been told, especially, and all of them understood that. All of them said, you know what, we're, I don't I don't, <laughs> I don't, need motivation to, uh, you know, I don't need any extra motivation. I have enough being an undrafted rookie. You know, uh, and I'm sorry. No, and I was going to say, with, no, with, with, with Reddick, you know, people forget it because we're, we're so much focused on the now and the coming season. But, you know, heading into 2012, the Saints linebackers, I mean, it was a constant joke on the podcast that it was just – we just wanted warm bodies, you know. And they mm-hmm. went out in free agency and they got 
Hawthorne and Chamberlain and Lofton, but they didn't have they 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 didn't even have forget starters. They didn't have any depth. So for Redick last year, it was the perfect spot for him in that there was a there were there were roster spots to be had by free agent guys. And this year they drafted Powell and like you said, and it was just sort of a really good for him. And he may he may probably have been a very very. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Very fringe guy in the perfect spot to make a team, and this year the Saints, like you said, increased the talent level. Um, the one thing that I that I, that I – I'm talking about in my preview column that I'm doing for WWL is uh, kicker Ramon. I think kicker is kind of like insurance. It's not important all the time, but when it is important, it's really important. And I see this kicker situation. I don't see it settled. And quite frankly, I'm more concerned about it than I was at the start of camp. Is that a legitimate feeling to have it? Yeah, point? I mean, yeah, I think, you know, the, the problem, I, I think it was, it was kind of a down note to kind of end training camp today. Um, I don't know if you were out there, but um, it was, it seems like throughout camp, no one had, like, the job has been there, and it's like neither of them, I, I know that this isn't the case, but it's like neither of them wanted to just go and, like, seize it, you know? Um, when, when one, when one has kind of let the door open for the other, the other doesn't go through it. Um, and, and today I think a sequence kind of, uh, perfectly illustrates it. Uh, Graham, um, had a, a, a miss in drills earlier in practice today. And then at the very end, <clears throat> I think it was the last thing that they did. Um, they made him go head to head. Um, I think they, they kicked, uh, they kicked three kicks and then the fourth one, they pretend they, they simulated that it was you know that there were 10 seconds left and the clock was running and so they had to run from the sideline set up and ten, snap it 10 seconds and kick it and um so so in the first three kicks Graham uh, splits his first two and then makes his last one and Dimke and then and then um okay and then so when it's Dimke's turn to do those three kicks uh he he makes his first two and then misses the last one 
and then the the emergency kicks happen, and Graham makes his okay, and then Dinky misses his. So that means Dinky misses, closes out with two misses, two out of four in that whole sequence, um, and then keep giving him as many misses as Graham did. And that's kind of been the the way throughout where it looks like Graham's in trouble. <laughs> you made me uh, feel early worse. In camp misses a few, and then Dinky, uh, and then Dinky falters. And then Graham, it looks like Graham's back in the mix and says, okay, maybe maybe Graham is a smart decision to make because, you know, he's a, he's an 85% career kicker. It's pretty much the standard NFL kicker. That's pretty much kind of what, you know, you're going to make 8.5 out of 10 kicks. It's pretty much the NFL standard. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and then he falters, and it's just kind of been back and forth, and none of them, neither of them have been, you know, Dimke's shown some power, but then, you know, he's, he's had his accuracy issues and, I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, and and I think this kind of illustrates it. I mean, there was a writer standing next to me when it happens, and then he says, "And your 2014 Saints kicker is Jay Feely, <laughs> who of course was uh, was released recently." Is that, <laughs> at the end of the it, I mean, if, how much ahead. of that is a joke though, and how much do you? I mean, do you think these guys, whoever they cho- whoever they choose, Ramon is going to be like on a really really short leash? Uh, <clears throat> I mean. I don't. I, I think. Um, I, I don't. I mean, I don't know how much how much of a joke it is. I mean, I don't think it would surprise anybody if if that's what they did. I mean, I think. But I, I guess to me, like to illustrate uh, how how unsettled of a. I mean, to, to me that illustrated this how unsettled of a. Here it is, the last training camp practice, and you're joking about a guy who hasn't even been here, who was just released by another team, um, coming in and, and being your starting kicker. There, it just kind of speaks to the to how the competition is gone. Um, you know, it's never. I think if if they are on a short leash, I mean, if you're going to go in to uh, to me, and, and I mean, I, I guess realizing now what juncture the of the preseason it is, um, I mean, you're ten days. You know, you're you're getting very close to that week one opener. You're less than two weeks away. Um, <clears throat> I think it, it just it's it's a bad. Uh, it, if you're going to go in with a guy that you need to put on a short leash, I mean, that, that's far from ideal. I mean, I, I know that. And, um, Ramon, do you believe do you believe Sean Payton when he says that it, it's still not decided? Do you believe that's true? Uh, I, I mean, yes. I, I mean, that's one of the ones where I mean, he said you look at the competition, for example, at center, and he says that well, center's not. Uh, I don't think anyone believes that that, that the center between the center <laughs> battle between Jonathan Goodwin and Tim Alito. I mean, Goodwin. I think they showed all signs point to Jonathan Goodwin, uh, and but that is the complete opposite when it comes to kicker, like. Um, it just seems that they've both been <clears throat> when one's been hot, the other one's been cold, and then the one who was hot gets cold, and then the other one gets. And so it's just been inconsistent. And that's well, that's you've, you've seen these guys kick. Ever. You've seen these guys kick the whole training camp. I mean, is, I know it's it's close to a coin flip, but if if you had to pick one, who do you think the Saints are going with? I, I go with I go with Shane Graham simply because of the of the. The, the track record, you know, and um, you've got Shane Graham who, you know, yes, he's, he's had some, some bad and, and high pressure um, situations. Had bad games. He's also had good games. And I mean, look no further than what he did for you in the, uh, in the walk hard win uh, at Philadelphia. Um, so I think going in with that, I would uh, going in with a known quantity, knowing that you're going to have a guy that can make 8.5 out of 10 kicks um, which is about as good as you're going to find uh, when it comes to that kind of like middle tier kicker level. Uh, the ones who don't have jobs, you know, I mean, obviously Graham is, is in camp, but when you look at that middle tier, I think he's, he's kind of, a, I would go with that. Um, and, and 
that's what I think that uh, that Peyton would be. Again, this is just my opinion, but I think that's that's the way that they'd lean toward. You know, Ramon, I was listening to um, the other day at work uh, the a podcast which I really like is uh, on Grantland. It was Bill Barnwell and Robert Mays. And I always try to get different opinions, you know, because we're such kind of in the Saints bubble. And they were, you know, uh, Bill Barnwell, who I, he does analytics, and I really like him. He said, "Look, I don't think the Saints are going to be nearly as good as everybody says." And he was like, "I think they're they're I think at corner, besides Ken Lewis, they're terrible, and they're really going to struggle." He said, "I think they're uh, one injury from being a mess at offensive line, and their guards are old." Um, you know. And he said, I don't think their running game, we keep hearing that this is going to be the year for Mark Aaron. We've been hearing that for four years. It's never going to happen. It never, never has happened, never will happen. So he said 9-7, and 10-6, and six, which I don't necessarily agree with it. Um, the one thing he said, he, he didn't think their defensive line besides Cam Jordan was that good. I disagree with that. But yeah. um, do you think this Saints team has – more weak spots than sort of the general fans and maybe the general consensus is because you've seen them every day. Yeah. I, uh, I don't, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with, um, a couple of few of those points. Um, I think being, I, I don't know how, how much of practice he's watched. Um, no, you know, when you I'm see interested. Patrick Robinson play, when, when you see Patrick Robinson play the, the, and and as aggressive and and make the kind of plays that he's he's made, um, and and you still kind of see that of uh, flashes of that from Bailey, which is I guess, um, and and I mean you see it from from time to time. You think that a cornerback, um, White, when you see the way that White's been aggressively making plays on the ball, when they're doing that against. I guess the an offense that we know is one of the elite in the league. I think there's more reason to to be optimistic than to be so pessimistic about that position. Um, I, I don't think that they're one injury away from from a uh, from necessarily because if, if Robinson doesn't work out and Bailey's still there, I mean Bailey is showing that he's not you know the 19 you know he he's, he may not be the the Bailey from his prime, but he's also the one closer to the 2012 Bailey, and not the, the one that was hurt in subpar last year. Uh, White, I think, is a guy that's been um, by the general fan has kind of been dogged a lot, and when you see the way that he's been practicing, um, he's you know he's he's been growing. Uh, the other point, the offensive line. Um, <clears throat> look, I'm not trying to discredit necessarily all of the all of that, um, but at the same time. You studied. You, you kind of see when you look at the way that the offensive line. When you look at numbers, and, and you just kind of just watch it play out. I mean, the offensive line has been trending upward since a slow start in 2013, and that's carried over. Um, and I think that's a credit to the continuity of having a, 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 a coach who, in his first year, was trying a lot of new things, running several schemes at once that they were having trouble kind of grasping okay, now you're entering your second year, everyone's more comfortable. And I think the the reason that you're necessarily seeing it, I don't know if it has so much to do with, uh, you know, with, with Mark Ingram individually as it does as a whole unit is just more comfortable. And you can see it. You see it in the games. You see it in the numbers as far as yards per carry, as rushing attempts, et cetera. So I, I think <clears throat> that there's, again, the whole body of work, and, and all the things I mentioned in the offensive line, there's more optimism for 
them than uh, ah. than than I guess it gets for. There's no way getting around that the guards are are old and, and they've been a little bit more injury prone um, than they've been in earlier parts of the career. That can be an issue. Um, and then you're talking about having an un, untested guy like Marcel Jones. And but uh, what we've seen from him, uh, I mean, yeah, it's had its highs and lows. But again, I, I still think that. Um, Having the two pro bowlers there, um, you, it's a big if if they can stay healthy the whole way. But yeah, do you I, think, I think there's there's more reason for optimism than that. Do you and I'll, both of you guys can answer this. And I'll I'll start with you, uh, Andrew. Do you think they're going to try to do something at the backup tackle spot, either trade wise, waiver wire wise, or are they happy with what they have? Uh, well, I haven't seen the guys practice as much as Ramon. I mean, as you know, I spent a lot of time at the Greenbrier. And um, to me, Bryce Harris has kind of been a disappointment. And then once you go down the ladder, uh, the Thomas Welshes, et cetera, um, they just haven't cut it at all. So uh, I really feel like they're one guy deep at backup tackle. And he's a guy that they've kind of brought along. They've expected year-to-year growth. Um, John Payne always uses the term in his press conferences, time on task. And, uh, you know, that's certainly a player that fits that mold. You know, they've invested in him. Um, But I just haven't seen that growth this year. I feel like he hasn't really demonstrated that he's ready to, you know, like Streif. You know, when Stinchcom took a while to develop and Stinchcom became a starter, same with Streif. We're not, to me, I'm not seeing that evolution with Harris. So all of a sudden I'm worried. And, yeah, I I think – if there was one position I felt like the Saints could possibly uh, poach a player at final cuts and bring him to the roster and make him active, it could be a tackle player. It could jeopardize Bryce Harris's role, but Ramon might disagree with that. No, I agree that um, Bryce Harris, we, we try to chart as many one-on-ones, obviously, that we can, especially in the, the um, one-on-one blocking drills. And for the defense, obviously, it's the one-on-one pass rushing drills. And um, Harris is... is probably been the weakest uh on the offensive line at tackle um and just throughout the offensive line um and so yes i, I mean i think andrew is um that's a that's a very uh informed uh <laughs> and uh an accurate uh thing to to say um because uh i mean that those are just his impressions i, I don't know if you were charting them or not we were and i mean he was walking away with you know more than one defeat constantly um especially in west virginia uh, when it just kind of lent itself to a better vantage point to look at those more closely. So, um, yeah, I mean, Harris is, Harris is a guy that we've had on the, on the bubble and in the tenure spot, um, from, you know, from the beginning, um, he just hasn't looked better. You know, it's a, the impression I get is he, he's looked better, especially like in that first preseason game, right? Like he played much better than he had been before, but uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, there's no, uh, you know, there, there's, there's no question, but even though they have, I mean, here's just another guy there. I mean, um, a guy like Marcel Jones, who I know that they value. He's played guard. He's, he's played tackle. And, um, you know, that he's one of the guys that they've invested in. And just from watching him, us watching him, he's one guy that we've, uh, you know, that, that we've seen kind of kind of grow. But uh, that would be, again, it wouldn't be a, a, a shock at all to, to see them, I guess, uh, make a play. But I know that they're banking a lot on. I mean, I think it's it's. I think Street missed one game last year. Um, hurt. I know that they're the the they're banking on you know his uh his durability. I know he's had injury issues in the past, but um and and uh, Armstead. But in terms of 
yes, that's a that's a spot where it, I don't think anyone would be surprised if if they were to to make. Um, but the difficulty and the challenge, and just bringing a guy in and thinking that he can just be plugged in, uh, that that offensive line scheme that that Engels runs and the different protections. There's like three or four that they run at the same time, and it's it's difficult to just plug in a guy into something like that which is why I think that they maybe show more patience than a guy like Bryce Harris has been, you know, under angles for both of those years. I saved this for and last. He's in his third year with the thing, so. I, I saved my next question for, the, for near the end because I want people to listen all the way to the end. Uh, quarterback, who is it going to be two? Is it going to be three? And Andrew brought up a really, really interesting point that I didn't see all the media make. Is that you, Andrew pointed out, hey, you know, uh, Luke McCown was doing all the holding which they were supposedly yeah. trying to break in Griffin for the holding. And that could be, could or could not be a sign. But, um, Ramon, give me your I thoughts on what they're going to do at quarterback. I uh, just haven't looked, and, and i got to give my, my colleague here, uh, Nick Underhill, some credit both on some, some of the observations he's made on the offensive line. By the way, well that's a damn good hire. The backup quarterback. Right? Guys. That guy, yeah, he's that, been great. That guy is really Absolutely, smart. he's... He's our he's our Jarisbird, <laughs> you know. Um, no, he uh, he. I think um, you know what it shows is. I think McCown is is. I think McCown has the edge in that race, and and knowing that they're going to keep three quarterbacks, and I think that's the way to go. Like, I think the only way that they don't keep three is if if Griffin wins it outright, and um, the evidence just isn't there that he's close to doing that. When you look at kind of who's been working, who's who's been who's been going in before in the preseason games, who's been starting with, who's been working with the London preseason games, is McCown, not Griffin, right? And it's McCown who's always gotten the first crack at it. Um, with Breeze out, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, when when Breeze missed, um, uh, was it, I guess, Monday with the, uh, I'm sorry, my days are all messed up, I guess Monday, Monday evening uh, when he was out with, uh, kind of in the wake of that third, in the wake of the third preseason game, Breeze isn't at practice, he's with his, uh, his wife who was about to give birth to their, daughter um it was mccown wire to wire working with the ones and another point of evidence um which is what andrew pointed out um yes that mccown was was doing all the holding um today i think that's pretty clear that at, at this stage that mccown is on the roster and um with mccown on there i think that they keep three i think that they keep three guys uh, Wait, that Ramon, Ramon, just give me, educated guess. Ramon, give me one. So, you know, two years ago, it was Isab Dilkudus. Last year, Rod Sweeting, maybe even Josh Hill, where a couple guys were final cuts come around. And, you know, the, the collective fan base goes, who? Who made the final roster? So there, I feel like there's always that guy that kind of navigates his way through camp that no one knows, no one's really heard of. Um, Ed Abali's a guy whose name was thrown around today. I know he practiced some with the one. So, um, you know, possibly that guy could be someone that shocks everyone and makes a 53-man roster. But is is there a guy like that um, that you're kind of keeping a close eye on? That you know, obviously the educated fans know most most of the players on the roster. But um, who who's left in your mind that that still stands out and could be that guy that makes the roster that most fans haven't heard of? I mean, I think at this point, I I really don't necessarily see. Too many. I mean, I think we've to to, to the credit. I mean, I, I think we've we've seen many uh, many of these names already mentioned. That's a credit to just you know fans, and, and maybe it's just that I interact with the most hardcore fans. <laughs> but um, but you know when, when you look at um, 
you know, I, I know this name is, is, has been mentioned, and, and he maybe cooled off a little bit, but started off camp strongly. You know, you look at a guy like Pierre Warren, you're looking at guys like uh, like Marcus Ball, or you know, uh, you know, those are those, that's a safety position that um, you know is, is valued, and 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 depth there is uh, is, is valued. I think you hit it with with Edibali, another guy that people are, are kind of um, who's gotten really hot and gotten a lot of attention um, recently, and, and rightfully so. Um, <laughs> uh, I think those are, um, you know, I've kind of a guy, and 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 see this this happened. No one knew that Laura was going to get hurt, but one of the guys that I got on uh, very early, uh, and and I'm, I'm trying to sit here like, oh, I'm so smart because I've whiffed on some, but um, I, you know, Austin Johnson was a guy back in in May where I'm like, you know, this guy's going to make it hard to get to not make the roster. Um, I, he's he's done well in in that fullback role that um, that. Uh, you know, in the the Collins did you know well for a few years before he went to Detroit. Um, he, he just the way that he catches the ball at the backfield, the way that he. I mean, I know that position of Lorig's once Lorig gets back, but um, man, Austin Johnson's going to make it. He's positioned himself very nicely that Lorig isn't ready to go in week one. He's going to be you know on that 53 man and possibly starting week one at fullback. Um, Jones, who has so much experience, Greg Jones has so much experience. Uh, 11 years, um, you know, in Jacksonville. I think the Pro Bowl alternate at one point has not been able to 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 get to Alice Johnson um, when he was brought in, and he was brought in to push him. And yes, while he's been pushing, you know, Johnson said, "Oh, it's, it's great motivation to push him." I mean, Johnson, that's been his. So, um, but I mean, again, because of Warwick's injury and because of the touchdown that he scored against Indianapolis, and I know I wrote a big story about it. I think I saw Nola.com had a big story on Johnson today. Obviously, his name is <laughs> is out there now, but um, but he had been someone who was kind of slowly coming on um, and. Uh, has been kind of fun to see. Um, where a year ago, I think if you said Austin Johnson might be starting week one uh, in 2014, I think people would be like, who is that again? Ramon, did Kenny Stills' aggravated quad injury save Robert Meacham's job? Um, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I think it was a very bad sign for, for Meacham that he was playing as late as he was in that uh, Indianapolis game. Um and uh, and I, obviously I think it it it'll help him. Um, I just don't know. I, I mean, no one. It's weird. Like uh, you know, I, I think you, you know how some some guys are like Peyton guys and, and they are loyal to them until. Um, and I, I don't know if this is the year. I, I just no one what he was able to do last year is a known commodity. There's. Um, I wonder if 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 they if they carry five and Stills is. Stills is one of them. Like say, if, if he if he's not on PUP and he's ready to go week one, I, I still think that Meacham sneaks in at the at the at the five spot. Again, I said this I think on Twitter. Yeah, I think I said this on Twitter. Over, I think I said this on Twitter. Um, and and maybe people don't don't agree with me. Um, and maybe the Saints don't. But if I were in charge of personnel, and you're asking me, it comes down to Meacham Latoon. I, I think Meacham has shown much more. Um, he's got recent evidence that he can contribute in in a way that and plus over the course of a career that tune just just can't point to it, um and uh so well, I, well I that just, brings up a good a good point is let's just, let's say that you're correct and they're going to keep three quarterbacks if you were yeah. what position for the saints if they keep three that means they're going to have to chop a, a, a number somewhere else right. what right. position area is most likely to get the chop if they keep three quarterbacks. Um, again, I mean, it's a difference between like, okay, them being able to carry, um, 
six safeties. You know, I think that's that's been kind of the 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 thinking is that they might carry up the six safeties, right? You got the three Bush, Bird, and Vaccaro, and then uh, in our thinking, it would be at a position at that position where mm-hmm. maybe Warren doesn't latch onto the bottom of that roster, or maybe Ball doesn't latch onto that. You're thinking that sincerity with the way he's played and and how much they like him, and and, and you see how how they keep him around with the ones and, and they're constantly instructing him around the ones and paying a lot of close attention to him because I, he's, he just strikes you as someone who's a very coachable guy. Um, you, you figure he's number four and then it comes down to ball at one. So maybe one of those guys gets lost. So that's, that's what we were thinking that they might kind of um, trend, especially because some of the cornerbacks, for example, we've seen like a Corey white, we saw him play a little bit of safety, even though coach Payton said that that wasn't the case. He was clearly playing safety um, in some drills and he's a guy that can like, shift into that spot. So I think um if if needed so I think that would be kind of a place that maybe cuts out. I, I know Meacham I I just knowing how much they value kind of like what his what he does, uh his, his yards per catch were, were still good last year. He was still blocking. Um just the effort that he puts out at least in games, um when you see uh I'll I'll say one last thing uh as far as like what I think typifies what they like about Meacham. If you remember in week two there's an interception in Tampa Bay. I think uh, pretty much ran it from end zone to end zone, and he and he was in the back of the Saints end zone, and he got he outran the entire pursuit and got to the to the goal line that Tampa Bay was trying to score on, and came close to making a tackle. It, it may have been nothing. It might have been nothing. Um, it might have in the end only delayed the inevitable of the Bucks are going to score. But I think that effort that he showed, pretty much running. 110, you know, more than almost 110 yards, uh, I'd say, uh, to get to the end zone and, and make that play. I think that kind of typifies what they, you know, just the, the effort and, and the way that he just kind of plays as, as hard as he does. You know, I, this this might <laughs> – I like Toon. I like his I, – I like Toon personally. I like Toon as a agent. I just – that's kind of the effort that I've never really seen from him and that kind of fire that I've yeah, never really I, seen from Toon. The, so. the interesting thing – Maybe that's not enough, though. Well, it well the thing it, you're you make a good point and and the thing is Meacham, like you say, he, he, coaches he has value to them and he can play all the positions and he and like Andrew says he breaks the film who breaks the film down and does a great job he blocks really you know so that those things are those to coaches those things are important and like Andrew always says coaches like guys that are dependable you know that can, that know what to do they might not make the play all the time but they know the route to run they know the scheme they know where to be and Meacham does that and that's that's an that's an important trait that a lot of fans we you know we think oh this guy he can run fast he can catch he can make a big play well the coach is thinking you know what Robert Meacham I can play him at any receiver position I know he's going to block I know he's not going to screw up a route that Breeze is going to throw a horrible pick because Meacham is doing something wrong. You know, those things, they matter to coaches. Um, yeah. People that listen to this podcast no. know I'm a degenerate gambler, so I can't get away without asking you at least one fantasy question. So, Ramon, I'm giving you $1,000. Cool. You're going to Vegas. <laughs> Who's going to lead the Saints in rushing in 2014? Man, um I, I have to. I mean, look, it's it's not the sexy answer, and it's not the one that like oh, it makes me see things in a unique way or anything like that. But I, I just think, um, and maybe I, he does this every year. But uh, <laughs> I mean, Ingram, Ingram, right now, I think. Um, and and look, I know I, we were maybe all be biting our words uh, six uh, six weeks into the season, but I think, um, or at least I might be. 
but uh, Ingram, um, the, the way that he's doing, understanding that it's the preseason, you don't want to make too much of it, but just kind of seeing how he's done. He looks different, though. Weeks. I mean, and, and both yeah, you guys can jump yeah. He looks, he just, he had some success in other preseasons, but he just, he looks different. This this Ingram looks like the Ingram from Alabama when he won the Heisman. He just looks, I don't know if it's thinner, healthier. He looks faster. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's just him. I, I insist. That I, I I I insist and I, I believe and it shows that it's just the comfort of them doing maybe some things better that um, that help him doing some of the things that the offensive line is doing maybe some more things and he denied this on when Nick was writing the story and Nick asked him like hey do you feel more comfortable doing you know some of these um, you know the zone blocking schemes or um, and he was like uh, and he said look I can I can I can do any I can I can run anywhere. But um, I mean, it seems like he's like I can run behind any scheme, and but they're doing things better now that Alabama was doing when he was having his best years, and I think that that has to do with not only just not just his proving scratch that if you if you go back and after his pathetic start to the 2013 season when he came back got healthy and he was running just better and you could kind of see that it's carried over. And um, and that's why I think it, like it's not just this year thing; it's a thing that started in the middle of last year, and it's it's kind of been perpetuated. So I think it's not just him; I think it's it's just the whole the whole scheme and, and the whole group there is just doing better at what they want to do with him. Ramon, before we get get out of here, and we want to, I want your a prediction for the 2014 year. Um, it's fun, you know. Now fans we're connected. Um, you know, it's been God, it's been seven eight years since I covered the Saints on a daily basis, but you get to what we get as fans. We get to watch all the press conferences now. They stream them live. In the time that you've covered the Saints, have you ever seen Sean Payton more mad than he was after the second preseason game in a post-game press conference? He's—I I can't remember him ever being that mad. I—I'll say that he. Um, no, nah, it, it almost sounded. It was like a replay of the Buffalo. Um, you remember when they blew out Buffalo in the middle of last year? I think it was after the bye. It must have been like week yeah. seven. Or, it was like in late October, I remember. Um, and they won. And I think he, he was that upset. And I think they had like, I want to say like eight penalties or something like that. It wasn't 10, um, much less 22. <laughs> but um, he uh, he was, he kind of used that same spiel that, you know, we did things today that, when we go to uh, Seattle, or I, I don't know if he knew that they were going to end up in Seattle, but he's like, well, if we go on the road and in the playoffs, or, or we're in a big game, you know, we're going to be. And I think he even said the same, painting the same scene. We're going to be in the locker room talking about how did this happen and, and breaking down the mistakes that we made at doing this. Um, he's kind of he he's so I've seen it. It, it reminded me of that. Um, it kind of reminded me of that uh, of that that speech. But um, I think I mean I, obviously it's it's legitimate to. It's a legitimate concern, and I'm not trying to like take the leg out of what you were saying. I mean, yes, he was upset, and it made for an entertaining press conference um, because it was a little bit of a change of pace. But um, but I had kind of seen that at least uh, within the year, <laughs> I'd say. Uh, 2014 season. Before before you get to a, a, a number of wins, what is a thing besides? Besides, besides Drew Brees not starting a chunk of games, what's the one thing if if the Saints are like a a, a Jenga where you pull one piece and it co- collapses? Besides Drew Brees not starting a chunk of games, what's the one thing that you are like, man? They have 
forget injuries. They have got to play well at that spot if they are going to get deep into the playoffs like everybody thinks they can. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really think – I don't know if this is a spot necessarily. I, I think it will be a, a replay of, of last uh, – of last season, um, if if they're just not able to, if it, whenever the offense starts slow, right, defense must be able to, uh, <laughs> defense must be able to take the ball away. So I think if they have another stretch where they go 11 games with four turnovers, um, it's just going to make it really hard for when it, when you're playing in elements, when you're playing in, you know, which which you're never going to have to do. Um, I think it's going to make it hard for them to, you know, and I think. There's there's kind of a split opinion here among the media about how big of a deal that is. I'm one of those that thinks that that's that that's where the the key is, right? More than I mean, you know that Breeze is going to have his slow starts, um, where you're hoping that they don't the other team doesn't get too far. The Saints are hoping that the other team doesn't get too far ahead that they can't make up the difference later. Um, I think it would help, obviously. I think when you go back, it's just stark. I think the yes, the road doldrums and and the way how much more wildly inefficient the offense was on the road than it was at the Superdome. Um, I think it was compounded by the fact that the defense had four turnovers over 11 games. It could be really hard to <laughs> to overcome any any kind of slight mistake on the other side of the ball. Yeah, I, I agree, man. I mean, you look at when, when your offense is struggling, you want to give them a short field to work with, and I think it's not just the lack of turnovers. It's also the lack of a return game, and I, I really yeah. felt like last year the return game on special teams was some of the worst I'd seen for the Saints in years. I mean, Sproles just didn't have it on punt returns, and I think Cadet broke one return all year at, on kickoffs. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that you, know, I mean, you, I think you hit the nail on the head. Turnovers and, and returns give you short fields to play with, and when your offense is struggling, you have to have that. To your to your point, I mean the the last time you know my math correct the last time that they got any points off a <laughs> off a kick return in 2011 beginning of 2011 season. So you're talking about wow, you know one two three four well, yeah. before you're going to four season that they haven't got. What do you say if you if you lose the if you lose the turnover battle by just one turnover? You know if my team has two turnovers and your team has one turnover, your likely to win the game 80% of the time the last 20 years in the NFL. So if you're not if if you're if you're if you're not creating any turnovers, you've got to play perfect on offense because if you if right. if, if I create none and, and and but I but I give one, that means the other team has 80% chance of winning and that's just you got to you got to sort of even out that ledger. But Ramon, before you get out of here, you've given us way more time than we expected and we thank you for it. Give me a prediction no. on win total. Win total. Um, I'd say 11. I mean, I think 11 would be, you know, in the 10 to 11. I didn't say 11. I just, I think this, uh, I think it would be disappointing if, uh, and then if I can go a little further, I think it would, it would be a disappointment of the season if the, if the Saints don't finally just get past that NFC divisional round um, that they've kind of, run into some um you know that they've run into since winning yeah. the Super Bowl. I, I just do. I mean what, it would be disappointing because of the investments and that they've made and um and, and the moves that they've made and, and the all in mentality. I think it would, it would be kind of a waste if they just get to that. Uh, so tell people how they find you on Twitter and where they can go to read your stuff. Because it's because it's fan <laughs> the, it's fantastic. And I'm not just saying that because he came on the podcast. 
<laughs> I appreciate that, man. No, I'm uh, on Twitter at rvargasabbagit. I tweet out links to that stuff all the time. Um, obviously, you can also follow my colleague, Nick Underhill, at Underhill, uh, ADV, ADV. Um, and, uh, and online, uh, the website is www.theneworleansadvocate.com slash support slash things. All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks Ramon for having us and, uh, we'll talk to you down the line. No, I look forward to it. Take care guys. Thanks Ramon. See you, man. Thanks. We're joined now by a guy that I follow on Twitter and I love his blog and it's LSU football. And I don't care that this is a mostly saints podcast. He can talk saints too, but I want to talk LSU because I love LSU. We got Billy Gamilla from end the Valley shook. It's the best LSU blog. I get like 90% of my news from there, Billy. I'm not even going to lie. Like I don't like the, it's just, that's just the way it is. I love you guys blog and LSU football. It's Saturday. It's four, three, four days away. We're depending on when you're listening to this blog. Um, there's so much to get to with LSU, but I want to start with, they have this little running back. Most people don't know who he is. He's not really well known. He's a little kid out of St. Aug. Uh, he hasn't gotten much. They don't talk about him much. Um, how, how do you think he's going to do? But I know most fans don't know who he is. Um, so you're saying most, most, most fans are hashtag suspect. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's it, I, it's hard to, it's hard to put numbers on it, and as much as we've tried, because you know LSU's got other backs who are gonna get the ball, but it's it's you know he is he he's the most hyped player in in school history, which is saying something at a school like LSU, which had you know its share of hype players, and he's going to get the ball, and I have no doubt that he's going to be uh, productive, you know. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about Leonard Fournette from St. Aug, if people don't know. Uh, Bugger uh, Nation. Um, Bruce Feldman today predicted he's going to win the Heisman. Which is which is crazy, but I mean, at this, I mean, you know, it's it's. So I was actually listening to uh, to Matt Moscona's show on the way home, and he was going on and on about how you know so few running backs have gotten you know big carry loads at LSU, and as good as our running games have been. We haven't had that many backs who by themselves were, were like, okay, just give that guy the ball. You know, Jeremy Hill was that. Stephen Ridley was that. Excuse me. Jacob Hester was that. And Charles Scott was that in, in 2008, at least anyway. But, you know, a lot of other guys, for one reason or another, there was something holding them back. Like, you know, Joseph Adai, as good as he was, you know, he was always hurt. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some guys some guys couldn't couldn't pick up pass protection. Some guys you couldn't count on them not to fumble. You know, some guys didn't have the, uh, you know, the size or whatever. And the guys who, by and large, got those got those carries ended up being, you know, all SEC guys or, you know, in the case of Stephen Ridley, he's gone on to be a pretty good pro and he's made a Pro Bowl. You know, Jeremy Hill was a second round pick and probably going to get, you know, substantial carries for the Bengals this year. Yeah. You know, special talents and and Leonard Fournette is that kind of talent and and this is a kid who. Quite frankly, LSU's been recruiting since he was 15 years old and spent the last two or three years, you know, planning to have on their roster to the point where they didn't recruit running yeah, backs. They cleared the deck. They cleared the deck for him and went all in basically. And said that's what they did. Like Les Miles said, you know, the signing class before when they asked him, you know, I mean, reporters asked him a question knowing, you know, the answer, you know, hey, coach, we know she didn't sign a running back. And he said, well, you know, I've kind of got a running back in mind for that. <laughs> and 
everybody knew. And Leonard Fournette even said, like, right after it happened, like, yes, that kind of, you know, that meant a lot to me that he basically said, I know this awesome kid's coming and he's going to, you know, kick ass. So yeah, I can it, curse on this thing, can I? You can curse. We look if you've listened to this <laughs> podcast, you know we, me and Kevin held one of the codes where he geek we curse up a blue streak. You catch us on a Monday after a big thing drive you that. So we, Come on, I mean, I mean it is the 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 thing, and and I've said this uh, to you before the right before we started the podcast and today on Twitter. I really believe that this LSU football season is going to be the most less miles season of them all. Maybe, you know, less miles. I am a full on less miles supporter. I don't want to hear criticism of the man. He's the best coach in LSU history. And I'm not giving up 10 wins a year because you don't like his mediocre clock management or this or that. You can't guarantee me what you're going to get better, so I don't want to hear it. But, but, but Billy, this year, they're so young on offense. And that just leads to – I don't necessarily mean problems. I just mean it's going to be peaks and it's going to be valleys. And it's going to be peaks and it's going to be valleys. And it's going to be – there's going to be a lot of weirdness. I think, I think there's going to be craziness at the end of the game that's going to get us – euphoric and it's going to want to make us crawl into the bottom of a bottle of Jack Daniels. Am I wrong to think this with all the youth they have on offense? Well, I, I think that the, the thing that LSU, two things that LSU has going for them is that most of the, the rest of the SEC is in a similar boat, maybe not with youth, but with a, a similar level of questions, you know, either quarterback questions yeah. or other positions. And LSU's schedule Sets up very well, probably better than any any schedule that she's had in recent years in terms of, yeah, they start off with a tough opponent in Wisconsin, but Wisconsin's not so good as to be completely, you know, not not so good that you would chalk them up to a lot to be, you know, a definite loss. And then from there, you kind of get to build up a little bit. You've got yeah. three, three kind of gimme opponents, yeah. and then you've got Mississippi State, which is a tough game, but it's at home. That's your conference opener. That leads you into Auburn and Florida, you know, but then you get you get a, a home game with Kentucky, who's not very good, and then you get Ole Miss, and then you get the bye week before Alabama. So it 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 sets up for a team that gets better can kind of navigate that schedule. And even if maybe they lose at Auburn or at Florida, which are both gonna be tough games, you know, they'll be in position to where they'll still be, you know, better at the end of October than they than they might be at the beginning of October. The quarterback question's been sort of a lingering thing, and Les Miles said, hey, well, they're both going to play against Wisconsin. Um, what's your sense of how is it going to go? Are we going to see sort of this two-quarterback thing going back and forth, which Les Miles has shown he's not afraid to sort of do that with, you know, he did it in 2011 with Jarrett Lee and Jefferson, and it was kind of back and forth, you know, you didn't, it wasn't quite settled the whole way through. He's perfectly comfortable doing it. How do you think it's going to go during the year? Do you think one guy will sort of assert himself, or do you think it's going to kind of be back and forth all year? I think obviously it would be better if one guy asserts himself, and and that's usually the, the case with two quarterback systems is that one guy can't really handle the job, and that's that was the case in 2011. People, a lot of people don't want to admit that. And and Jared Lee played well, running a very limited, you know, handcuff scheme that was handcuffed, you know, because of him. And 
you know, Jordan Jefferson kind of gave him a little bit of a different dimension with his mobility. And, uh, you know, and people can say what they want about the way that season ended, but it was still the best regular season LSU's ever had and probably ever will have in terms of, you know, playing a difficult schedule and, and boat racing through it, basically. If, if, um, if Oklahoma State just would have made the goddamn field goal. Or now, if they would have been named Oklahoma instead of Oklahoma State. Yes, LSU would have a second national title, but go ahead. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> you know, Brandon Harris seems like he's probably got the bigger long-term upside. He's a little more athletic, and he's definitely got the better arm of the mm-hmm. two. You know, it, it's going to be a trick for the coaches. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, not just because, you know, you've got to, to balance having these two guys here for a year, but you've kind of got to keep both of them around for another yeah. year, too. That's what you said because, in your in your quarterback preview. Ex- explain explain that to people. Well, the, the thing is, LSU is going to bring in another. They've, they've got a quarterback committed for the class of 2015. So that would give them another quarterback if one guy transfers out. But you don't want to keep staying in this mode of having one guy that's played and a true freshman. You know, it, it's you, you, you want to try and keep both of these guys around for at least one more year. You don't want a guy to give up quickly and transfer. It's one thing if, you know, these two guys kind of go back and forth. 2015, it becomes really clear, OK, you know, Brandon Harris is your guy and Anthony Jennings thinks, Okay, look, I've got three years, plus I've got a redshirt year still. I can transfer somewhere else and go play. As long as he gives you that extra year, that way your 2015 kid gets a year in the system, and then you have – they actually already have a a big-time commitment for uh, the 2016 recruiting cycle. And then I think there's going to be a kid from Louisiana in in 2017. I don't know his name off the top of my head who is expected to be – you know. A big time because, of course, we're, they're identifying these kids younger and younger. And um, it, yeah, like I said, you just you, you just don't want to stay in that situation of your backup being inexperienced. If you can you can keep both these guys happy for an extra year to try and keep one of them around. Now, obviously, you've got to balance that with playing the best guy and winning. And that's going to be tough. You know, it, it, it's it's you know, the more I think about it, it's like, oh, God, I'm glad I'm not having to try and figure all this out. Yeah. But um. Yeah, because it also yeah. helped that they have a similar skill set. It's not like a Jefferson and Lee where one guy can run the option and do all this kind of stuff, and the other guy is just a, a, a statue in the pocket. You don't have to change your playbook. Yeah, and it's, and it's hard too. I mean, you know, if, if you're looking at it, just for example, you know, if if one of the if one of the if one of the kids you know steps up, Brandon Harris, if if, if it's clear, you're like by week four, it's like, oh yeah, he's he's the, oh wow, he's the guy, you yeah. know. Then the other quarterback, Anthony Jennings, he knows it, and he's, he'll be like, well, he can see it. And he'll be like, I'm not going to beat him out. I'm I'm leaving. I'm going to McNeese, or I'm going to Southern, or you know, I'm going to another Division One. And you can't really blame the kid for that because he doesn't want to. Oh see no. It. So it, it's it, you can't it, really even blame the coaches because that's that's kind of the way things are now. Is that yeah. quarterbacks? If if a kid's got you know any good. They leave quick. Once they realize they're they're you know kind of behind and they're gonna stay behind, they they go, they bail. You know that that I mean LSU signed two quarterbacks when Jennings came in and the other kid Hayden Reddick he bailed uh, a lot quicker than a lot of people thought. A lot of people thought he was gonna stick around. You know it was talking to people close to the program back in the spring. They said he had you know Matt Flynn had kind of sat down with him and told you know kind of sold him on. 
the virtues of staying, you know, I stuck it out for five years and I got my, you know, my one year as the guy, you know, won a national championship and he's still drawing an NFL paycheck now, you know, he's a career backup, but that's better than, you know, being nothing. And, you know, trust me, you, you, you can get your chance if, if you're patient and the kid still left. So yeah, it'll be a tough spot to be in. It'll be, it'll be interesting. Last year, the, the, you know, LSU people and the fans, we, we kind of we got so spoiled with the great defense that LSU's defense fell into the 30s overall in the rankings. Not even the 30s, the 15, the 15s. Yeah, <laughs> 15th in total yards. Allowed. Yeah, but I, I was talking about like if you if you read like SB Nation, like Bill Connolly, his like. Oh yeah, it was it was they were they were certainly. And, and they weren't a good defense. They in effect, but they weren't they made it out to be like it was they weren't scary. horrible. No, they weren't horrible. They just weren't. It's like, oh, no, people are getting people are stringing 10, 14 points on them in the first half. What is this? I, yeah. I want I want less than 100 total yards. And, you know, so and it was also a year where, where there really wasn't a great defense in the SEC. No, the SEC, the SEC became like the the, the like as wackish as the sec can be like it was yeah it was fun i'm not gonna lie. oh it was great fun there's so many good games you know and all those great you know great quarterback play so this defense what do you look at it that has got to be the strength of it and has got to lead it if they're gonna be a nine ten win team what's what's the what's the part of the defense that it's not not just got to be good but it's got to excel and be Great. I mean, it all starts up front. You know, LSU's got to get better defensive tackle play. And that was something that, you know, we kind of expected to be a strength a year ago. And, uh, and I mean, basically, I mean, you saw that Anthony Johnson, despite all his accolades and all the things he had done as a freshman and a sophomore, didn't have that great of a year and went undrafted. And a big thing was, frankly, he played every snap like he thought. I've got to beat my guy and get to the quarterback. And by the end of the year, some some offensive lines were just like, let him let him through, just let him through, and we can run past him. And you know, everything bleeds out from there. If your defense tackles aren't drawing double teams or doing anything, then your then your guards are going to start getting to to your linebackers, and and everything's going to struggle. And that was really the area where LSU struggled with not just in run defense, but also in big plays, which stems from that inside pressure and that inside presence. It was something like a, a five-year low in sacks and tackles for a loss because by the end of the year, D- Danielle Hunter, who is going to be LSU's best defensive end this year was the only off the only defensive lineman getting double teamed. Yeah. And he's a 240 pound defensive end. He's not, you know, he's a guy that if you put two blockers on him, you can probably control him. What is – I feel like when they play Wisconsin this week, if signs of – sure signs of trouble will be, oh, Lord, Wisconsin's pushing them around early in the game. Oh, but that's bad. What is a sign of, of that that, wor- that worries me? Uh, I'm, I'm really going to – it's going to be third downs if – you know, Wisconsin's gonna have some success running the football and, and there's no real shame in getting run by a team like them to some degree. You know, it's one it's one thing if they run for two hundred and fifty yards. It's another thing if they run for hundred and fifty, because they're gonna probably average two hundred something yards. So, you know, you're gonna give up some things. It's more are you constantly in third and short and letting them pick up, you know, third and three 
and not getting not getting them in third and six, third and seven, third and eight, things like that. And if or if they are, you are getting them in those down in distances. They're still picking it up through the air because the secondary should be the strength of this team. You know, the defensive line has to improve, but the secondary should be good, especially you know at cornerback with Rashard Robinson and Tre'Davious White. They should have a really good cornerback tandem. Safety play, they've got enough depth. They, they may not necessarily know who the, the starting two are going to be right now, but they shouldn't have a problem finding them. So it's kind of going to be, you know, if, if those units are struggling, if we're still seeing a lot of the coverage busts and things like that that we saw uh, last season, especially early on, then it's kind of going to be, oh, no. You know, that's, that's the area that we thought would hit the ground running. And so if that, that area struggles early on, I'm going to be a little worried. You know, with with uh, with Leonard Fournette and that whole thing, I feel like there's a guy in that recruiting class that just people aren't talking about him really. From all, I mean, Malachi Dupree was by some recruiting service the number one receiver out of high school in America. Some recruiting services had him one, some recruiting have had him two or three. But freshman receivers sometimes just take time. Do you think he'll be able to make an impact? Maybe not Saturday, but do you think he'll be able to make an impact this year? At some point, yes. It's going to be interesting. It, I, I think of the the freshman receivers, um, Trey Quinn's probably going to be the one who gets on the field quicker. He was a little more polished coming out of high school because he played in an offense that threw the ball over the place. So he's a little more uh, just, I think, polished. You know, Dupree's Dupree's probably more polished than you think because of, because of his background. You know, his he's his uncle is uh, was Marshall Falk's agent, and he's had you know there was the story in WWL about him training with Keenan Lewis and all that. He's had access to some of the best you know private training that you could possibly have. So he's probably a little more polished than you would think from a guy coming out of the John Curtis offense, which is this, that split back split back veer. You know, we're just going to run the football you know, 80% of the time. And he probably ran, you know, maybe four routes in high school in a game. And that was really all they needed to run. So, you know, you can't really blame him for that, but um, he's going to get a chance to play. He's also been a little slowed. He kind of, he pulled his hamstring early in camp and it was, and I know at one point there was kind of a, you know, he, he needs to get back on the practice field before he can earn a spot kind of situation. So it wouldn't shock me if he's maybe a little slow coming on, uh, but by the end of the year, I'm sure he's going to be, you know, in in your top three or four receiver rotation. I'll be honest and tell you this: I know nothing about Wisconsin. I couldn't, I couldn't even name their coach. Uh, I know they had the fat guy with the giant head that now he coaches Arkansas, Bielema. Bert. Uh, Bert. He he uh, he coaches Arkansas now. I, I couldn't name one current Wisconsin player. I think that that that's just me being honest. Uh, so I I know they're good. They're ranked in the top 25. Um, can you give me a preview of Wisconsin game and then uh, where LSU, where you think LSU is going to end up for the entire year? Well, Wisconsin, they're they're a lot like what they've what they've been. They're they're going to be a good running team, a power running team. What they've got. The difference this this team versus some of the previous teams is instead of having that that big burly power runner, they've got Melvin Gordon, who's you know 210, 215. He's not a small guy, but he's much more of a speed guy, much more of a one cut guy. He 
think he ran for 1,600 yards on like less than than 200 carries. Like he he didn't lead them in carries, and he led them in rushing by a significant margin. And uh, their their head coach is Gary Anderson, who was at Utah State previously. And uh, you know what was interesting is at Utah State he was very much a spread a spread offense guy. So he's kind of tried to mesh that with what Wisconsin has always done, which is be that big you know physical I formation power team. And one thing that uh, I'm actually going to talk about on Friday in my game preview, one thing that's uh, that's been interesting to watch them unfold and how they've melded that those two styles is what they'll do is they'll they've kind of they'll put uh, Gordon out Wada as a receiver and use kind of a jet sweep formation a jet sweep play where he runs across formation and they use that as a basis for a lot of things they run play action off of it you know there's plays where they they hand it to him they fake it to him and they hand it to a deep setback. You know different things, and it allows that you know, it's one of those things you can do, and you can lull a defense to sleep into it. You run it four or five times, and you just hand hand it off on a dive. You don't hand it to that guy coming wide, and the defense just kind of gets focused on inside, and then you do hand it to him, and boom, twenty yards, you know, or boom, forty yards, and it, you know it's 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 inter- it's been interesting to see. It's kind of a, a melding of that spread style with that power style because it's still, they're still, you know, in a two tight end set or in the I formation, but they're running plays that are very similar to kind of what you would have saw Oregon do with Michael James. So on Saturday at about 1130, 1145, am I going to be, am I going to be mad that I didn't go to the game because I'm in Houston and LSU won? Or am I going to be happy that I didn't go and spend (laughs) like 250 bucks to go? You should always go. It's always fun. Um, I, I think LSU is going to win. I think, I think that at the end, the big place where they have an edge is that Wisconsin, that is that Wisconsin is also replacing their entire defensive front seven. So I think that gives LSU a little bit of an advantage there. I think with, uh, with them also kind of in, in the same, in the same way as LSU very much starting from scratch with their passing game, cause they're not just replacing, their quarterback, well, they're replacing their quarterback by choice, but they're not just starting over at quarterback. They're also starting over at wide receiver. You know, Jared Aberderis had been there for a long time yeah. and and been very successful. He's now with the Packers, but you know, I think their other four top receivers are gone too. So just like LSU is breaking in new receivers, they're break and a new quarterback. They're also breaking in a new quarterback and new receivers. And I think with LSU's defensive style, I think they'll be able to, to put their corners out on an island, bring that safety down in the box to help with the running game. And in the end, they'll be able to use that to, to, to build some distance. And I, I'd be surprised if it's a, a big win, but I think LSU wins. All right. Now the important question. I want to be able to listen listen to Paul Feinbaum the day Why would two days after. <laughs> What's that? Two, I want to listen to Feinbaum two days after LSU beats Alabama. I just I want to be able to take the day off work and I want to have a bottle of scotch and I just want to listen to the nut jobs from Alabama call in and demand Nick Saban get fired because Les Miles beat him. Uh, Is that going to happen, Billy? I need that to happen. I hope so. (laughs) You know, it should be a I'm all I'm not good at predictions. I'm not going to lie, but it's. LSU has always got a shot in that game. I'm still surprised that last year's game ended up being, you know, the ass kicking that it ended up being. But, you know, it's 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 in Tiger Stadium. 
It's going to be, you know, a ramped up crowd. I'm sure game days could probably wind up being here that week. Um, it, it's certainly as good. And, and Alabama, likewise, is in, is in the same boat where they're breaking in a new quarterback and a new offensive line. They're going to be starting a freshman left tackle. Don't forget Lane his, Kiffin. He ruins a lot of things. Yeah, never mind that. They're, they're bringing in Lane Kiffin. They have an amusing amount of confidence in, in Lane Kiffin, despite his very spotty record as a coach. He was and so, certainly, good with, so good with the Raiders. So good. Uh, well, and he's, he really doesn't have a lot of ex- – his best experience as a coordinator, he was a co-offensive coordinator with Steve Sarkeesian at USC, and Sarkeesian called the plays. Yeah. So it's kind of like – and if you talk to a lot, the, the the joke out of USC fans is that, you know, they call Lane Coach Coffee because he got Steve's coffee for him while, <laughs> while Steve did all the work. Well, but Lane was a big recruiter, so. Well, yeah. So it'll be it'll be interesting. But but give me before we let you go, give me a prediction as best you can for LSU's record. I won't ask you to pick predict the bowl game because who the hell knows that. But give me yeah. a give me a win total. Somewhere between eight and ten. I mean, ten wins is kind of the barometer, um, you know, for this program here. And and it it, it it could go within a game either way or a game or two. It's it's going to come down to a couple of plays, just like it always does. You know, there's going to be close games. LSU may 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 win one or two of them. They may lose one or two of them. And it, it's going to be it's going to be a fun ride. That's all I know. Um, I think the the fun thing is that the West is so crowded at the top with LSU, Alabama, and Auburn all kind of having their holes. That ten and two might be good enough to, to get you to Atlanta and get you, you know, to an SEC championship this year. Well, we'll see. I'm I'm ex- I'm incredibly excited for the season. People, follow this man on Twitter. Go to endthevalleyshook.com and it's your it should be your number one source for LSU news and comedy and all good stuff. Billy, before before you get out, tell people how to follow you on Twitter. ATVS underscore Chef Billy. Um, you're, you're likely to hear me talking about just about anything. Um, lots of Saints talk. I also I love the Saints. I grew up. My dad was a has been a season ticket holder for about forty something years. Um, I, I, I was there when Gleason blocked the punt. I was there <laughs> when Brett Favre went down. I was there when Porter intercepted it. And uh, you know, those are moments I'll never forget. And and I'm looking forward to another great great season yeah. with the Saints. You it's know, right. I mean. So Billy, thanks a bunch, and I'm sure we'll talk to you down the line, probably uh, Alabama week. Sure, anytime, right. man. Thanks, guy.